Welcome to Grief and Gratitude, a podcast by Coffee and Grief. I'm Maria, and this is my mom, Annie. We're a mom-daughter team who talk about grief. We started this podcast to learn more about grief and to be part of the conversation in normalizing grief. We like to say that grief is transformative. You don't need to stay stuck in the hard parts. Grief is one of life's certainties. It allows us to connect to each other's humanity. If you're here in the early stages of grief, we're here to say it's hard. We're here to say be kind to yourself and thank yourself for showing up, for being curious about what grief can look like in its wholeness. This is not a prescription and we're not experts in your grief. We're just offering a little bit of hope. My biggest grief was being widowed when I was 28 and pregnant with Maria's older brother. Everything in my world changed, eventually for the good. Eventually there was Scott, my fabulous husband, then Maria, our beautiful daughter. I like to say that grief is the source of my superpowers. It's where I learned to not take time for granted. It's where I learned compassion and love in a bigger, deeper way. It's where I learned to be a beauty seeker a joy seeker. And also I'm a writer. I really wrote my way through my grief. And from all that experience, I'm delighted to tell you that I now have a book that's going to be in the world. Its publication date is September 4th. The title is the fifth chamber, as in if you had a fifth chamber in your heart, what would it hold? It's currently available for pre-order through Amazon and Barnes and Noble and wherever you buy your books at any local bookstore. For me, I was raised by my mom here who was grieving. Grief was very normalized in our home. It's something we talked about often. One of the things I've realized for the past few years is when we don't share our griefs, they become secrets and tear people up. But in sharing them, we can connect to each other. There's only so many different grief stories and talking about them and sharing them. It's really been nice to connect with each other on a personal level. For me, the past few years, I've lost multiple people in my life, including two grandparents and a few horses and cats. I feel many deaths in my life have been major benchmarks in how I view the world. So as we like to say on these podcasts, grab your coffee or whatever's in your cup and let's talk. Today, we are delighted to welcome Ann Richardson as our guest on this podcast. Stepping into the role of apprentice and accepting grief as a wise mentor has graciously taught Ann how to be with losses in the darkest hour, her own and those she comes alongside as a spiritual companion. This is a gift she is grateful to have been entrusted with and receives the responsibility to listen deeply to other stories as sacred. As part of this ongoing journey, joy has been revealed as grief's partner, the two intimately entwined. Anne believes in participating with all aspects of our inner and outer selves and with all beings on this planet and beyond to be kind, gentle, and curious with the invitations received and open to shifting beliefs that no longer serve herself or others. She walks to listen to the land and to ancestors. Writing poetry and blogging is one way she engages with grief. Her other myriad of passions include seeking out paradigms for pondering the wounds of trauma, embodying the labyrinth, 
and learning to navigate a world where humans are not the central species. Oh, and she reads a lot. Anne is a board certified chaplain, certified spiritual director, certified Veritas Labyrinth facilitator, Reiki master, and published an award-winning poet. She established Nurture Your Journey in 2016 after working in home hospice for more than seven years. She volunteers as a small group facilitator in the Pathways program at the Dougie Center for Grieving Children here in Portland, Oregon. As a longtime fan of Coffee and Grief community, she's excited to be a guest on Grief and Gratitude. Please welcome Anne. Thank you. I am really excited to be here today. So I'll start with reading a few poems because poetry is my um, is my heart. And um, so most of my poems come out of being in nature and they speak from a nature from a nature perspective. So this first one is just a little haiku called Aftermath. Limb sheared from body, a cacophony of wind, needles weep on earth. After the apocalypse, and this one was in Tiny Seed Journal. Excuse me for humming a little louder to fill in for the missing birds. The morning air begging for a response. Me, off pitch, foraging for notes. Now, forgetting their songs. Remind me to search the archives for sheet music and excuse them for leaving this world and nesting on a distant orb with canopies stretching over promise and tangles of grass rife with notes that someday may travel back to us. Codas of grace to be pulled from the wreckage of our indifference. This third one is called Elemental. And it's for the empaths out there that that uh, tend to be tend to see the world and feel all those feelings out there. And it's called uh, well, elemental. I said that already. So disappointment curves through the room, languishing atop a monorail track long ago abandoned, creeping along, no hurry. Rails rusted, overhead wires dangling loose nowhere to go but in circles. What elements weigh heaviest on the periodic table? Perhaps melancholy, its faded decal painted on the side. Indecision paces from one corner to the next, wraps at a window, sending thoughts flying, sighs, and continues pacing, flicking light switches on off, on off, opens a cupboard, Stairs, stairs, stairs. Perhaps some affirmations would lighten things up. When I close my eyes, I am dreamless. I see dark. I see nothing. I see light fragments. Today, my energy was offline. I blame it on the weather app. On stars and the clear sky dawn when it was supposed to rain. On Mars retrograde even if it wasn't retrograding, on being unsettled, on being. Nothing fell into place today. At least I didn't fall. 
I don't have to close my eyes to feel the vibrations of my heart as it pulls, pulls, pulls me out of my body, pulls me to edges. This morning, I saw a dead squirrel frost coating their gray fur. Last week, it was a dead whale decaying on the sand. Death has a vibration. Tune into it and you live compassion as the heaviest element in the universe with a gravity all its own. This one's called Casualties of War, and I did this in a corporeal writing workshop with Bridget Mosier. And if you, uh, I just highly recommended corporeal writing. Anyway, just giving them a plug. Uh, and we were supposed to drop into another being uh, as an earth form, another earth form. And I connected with the, uh, the uh, gulls at um, Cannon Beach. And this is, my imagining was the, um, in wars, obviously we connect with the, uh, the humans that are victims of the war, but um, I was thinking of how the gulls might be connecting with the gulls in that other place. Casualties of war. In the silence of the silence, before dawn, when only waves amble upon the shore, we rest nestled with our mates, our young surviving winter, extend wings, stretch and tuck, drop back into the quiet, in the silence of the silence. Wind speaks, wind unfurls, final sounds of cousins from seas distant, not of aging, not of storm, not of oceans swallowing her own, voices rent from throats, feathers torn from flesh, bodies falling from skies, wind weaving relentlessly round our nest as sun bleeds into horizon. We open our throats to mourn unnoticed casualties, but only silence screams before we awaken to the rhythm of our day. And finally, this last one is called Five Deer. And I wrote this one from my latest workshop with uh, Bridget from Corporeal. And when I was recently returning home Thanksgiving on I-5 from um, Medford up to Portland, um, I noticed five deer uh, on the highway. And it reminded me of a William Stafford poem called Traveling Through the Dark. So the epigraph starts with, um, traveling through the dark, I found a deer dead on the edge of the Wilson River Road. One, no less than five deer carcasses lie scattered along I-5 North, where one summit leads to another and Mount McLaughlin's shawl of snow fades in the rearview mirror. Each deer in various states of decay, those who linger mid lane are pummeled by repetitive grinds of tire close to unrecognizable. Others cast to the shoulder, their blood and bone, sinew and tendon, eyes staring mouths agape with unspoken sounds. Crows and buzzards feasting on flesh alive with death as songs of atonal traffic drone on. One is fresh with death, first dreaming heat, dreams still fresh on bone, the white pickup part close, windows steamed with breath, scavenger, county worker, mourner, and you, how deep the route to follow your scattered herd, hind legs propelling to reclaim land divided by 
asphalt and mapping and supply chain hunger. I slip into the ways of travel, but yearn to see your body whole and running free, eyes reflecting a nebula of light in the night sky. Two, I dream. Lying still on the land, breath cautious, air streamed riveting from my nostrils. No staring up at the clouded sky, eyes wide as corpse, no. Bare belly on dirt, palms flat, mouth open to read the hummus of sacrament. Legs spread, unafraid of what snakes may emerge. Roots singing in my ears are songs of trees entwining, making love below the surface where covetous eyes cannot soil their way of passing on knowledge. Shedding my skin, native grass takes root in my pores, speaking stories of seeds, birds, moss. My body composting into another being, leaping to life, a doe birthing light through my eyes. Three, five deer stroll through the Jacksonville Historic Cemetery, unconcerned with the micro divisions of Catholics, Jews, Masons, Odd Fellows, the mapping of death, the purview of humans. The deer wander among these dead, no allotment set aside for their own. This fall day, American robins, acorn woodpeckers, dark-eyed juncos, morning doves are creating a penelope of song, an elegy for fallen leaves. The deer take me in with a glance, leap the fence rusted and bent with age. In their eyes, I see my dream and their nebula of ancestors. Wow, thank you so much. That's just, it's so beautiful. I always love your writing. And I'm always, especially the choices that you made today to read with us, um, so touched by how you connect to nature in all aspects of, um, of being human and being beyond human. And how, um, how you express your grief through nature. I particularly love the heaviest element. Um, that was, I mean, they're all fabulous. But I just, I love how you see yourself in nature and how nature sees itself through you. Thank you. Thank you. So could you tell us a brief version of your grief story? Ah, yeah. Thank you for saying that question. And I started to think on it. Mm. And the more I considered that, um, I thought about how grief stories us and we story grief and when does our grief story start and when does our parents start and when does it, you know, it, it, it my mother in the womb, her story would have started, her grief story would have been in me, my father's and uh, grief is part of my body and I can't own a grief story. It's, it's just so, so complex, so complex. And they're passed down to us from the generations. And so, and then there's the grief that we story with the land and the land stories with us and, uh, and the places I've inhabited and, and that have inhabited me is all part of that grief. So um, it's, 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 it's such a complicated question. Um, my grief story, you know, there's the timeline story, you know, there's that first loss when you leave the womb, that nice nurturing for me was a nice nurturing place. Not even, some people don't even have a uh, a gentle womb story, right? I did. Um, 
but uh, and then my father's first heart attack was when I was 18 months old. My mother's brother died by suicide when I was less than two. You know, there were lots of little griefs, all big griefs all, along the way and losses. So there's, you know, there's that arc of loss uh, in my in my early life and, and along the way. So uh, that are part of everyone's life. But, uh, but I think grief starts to story us even, even when we're in the womb and in the places we touch our feet down in this planet. I don't even know dad after that. I know that. My brain's a little uh, gemished. Um, well, that was beautiful. It was beautiful. Because, it's a different perspective than we've gotten it from other people. Yeah. And it's part of why we do this, right? Because often, so oftentimes people think of when they hear the word grief, they think of the death of a loved one. And we are here, part of a huge reason we're doing this is to explore like what is grief and that it's so much broader than that, that traditional thought that comes up for people. So you just gave us like this huge landscape um, of grief stories and and how we are storied and that was that was just that was so beautiful because it is it is so much more than grief is so much more than the loss of someone we love. Um, I have a specific question, I guess, from that. Did did you feel as a child or like when did you start feeling your grief story more connected to the land versus just events? That's definitely been later in my life. After my mother died, I would say, which would be coming on five years in February, when I felt a call to go back to England and the UK and really be with the land. There was this being released from caring for my mother. And like you, Annie, she had um, Alzheimer's and I walked alongside her with her on that journey. Um, and my parents, after they immigrated, uh, just in 1948 after World War II. And, and there was this, you know, this, this English thing of keep calm and carry on. That was definitely a part. You don't talk about it. You don't talk about your grief and your losses. You just have that stiff upper lip. That was definitely something I was raised with. So uh, my mother would go back and visit her parents. My father, who died when I was 26, only went home once or twice, I believe. So mm, the connection there was a connection with some rituals or some, you know, like the roast beef in Yorkshire putting that, but there wasn't this, this um, desire to be part of that land until my mother died. And then I just felt this deep wanting to find out my story of that land or it called, it called to me. And there was this steep sense of loss of not feeling like I belonged there and wanting to belong that and that's a grief I think many of us don't acknowledge is this where do we belong um, our belonging so um, and one of the books that really set me off on that was Sharon Blackie's book if women rose rooted where she talks a lot about this sense of where do we belong so that's when I really started to get a sense of uh, this loss of, um, of of belonging to a certain place a place and even that is starting to shift uh, since then. But I call myself a woman of two worlds. So very much part here and part there. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and can you tell us a little bit about what you got to discover for yourself when you did travel back to England? Mm -hmm. So I knew I needed to walk. And, and, and I was working with someone to help me plan that because I'd never 
planned something that big. I went by myself and a part of it was doing something called walking the coast to coast where you start at the Irish Sea and you end at the um, North Sea. So it's the shortest part of England that you can walk. It's about 200 miles. And it was that training to walk and then to actually set foot on the earth and you walk. And this is where I've really discovered my love of walking and being in the land is when you're, you stop and you look. And then even before that, I, I've loved, I was a little girl, we had, we grew up on an orchard and I would be scared of things, but also attracted to things. So I'd sit in the cherry tree or I sit in these two big old cedars and I'd huddle inside them with my books when it was light enough or my, I'd collect little rocks and things. So I think I had this intuitive thing of, of belonging to the lamb, but I was also kind of a scaredy cat. Um, but as I've grown into that post, those postmenopausal years and have started to learn who I am, um, I, I had just this deep draw now when I walk, I stop and I look and I listen to the trees or what are the birds saying or crow, do you have a message for me? Or, you know, how can I, how can I listen to, to the moss? What am I noticing? What might you say to me? And, and this is really starting to really shift a lot more as I listen to some wise teachers in this area as to um, not, not what can you give me or I can respect and honor you. Uh, trees, um, I have a grove of trees close to where I live called, that they're some maples and I call them the sisters. They've allowed me to name them that. Um, uh, that have really held space for me as my mother declined and then died. But Lately, I'm, they're they're starting to decline themselves as they age, and some of them went down in an ice storm recently. But now I'm now I'm shifting. Okay, it's not so much of what can I get from you, and and yes, that's honoring them. Uh, I you know I honor and respect them, but it's like oh, it's so much deeper than that. These species are so old. The moss and the lichen and the rocks um, are so ancient and. And we're not the only species that has a grief story. Trees grieve and whales grieve. And my, you know, this, so this shifting from a human-centric viewpoint and, and going off that, what, what other species can teach me about grief? Who are my mentors out there? So much farther, so much deeper. I, um, I do a lot with horses and seeing horses grieve is uh it, it's so like they're in it and then but then they also just let it go mm -hmm. like when some when somebody dies or if they're having a problem it's super quiet and like all the horses seem very sad and solemn and and they take their time but then there's also this like there's a time for it and then they move on and and also when they're not allowed that time, they seem worse. Um, then they're looking for their friend that they don't know where their friend went and all the things. But when they're really allowed that, those moments, like they know, even if they, I'm like, how do they know? But they know. That's probably not described the best. No, they're so wise. Horses are, oh, their soul of a horse is so, yeah, so deep. So when you said at the beginning, and I lost three horses, I'm like, you lost three three horses that seemed really deep to me yeah and cats and dogs any pets well, we, call, we call them pets but they're companions I mean they come into our lives and I, yeah they're more than that they're more than pets 
I, I love your connection to the land. And so could you tell us some, can you tell our listeners some about your, um, your work with the labyrinth? And was that happening before you made that walking journey in England or did that grow out of it? So I've been, well, I've been a facilitator, been trained as a facilitator. Mm, let me back up. Uh, I went to seminary back in 2000 and I got introduced to the labyrinth about 2003 by my dear soul friend, sister, another Anne, we're a dime a dozen, aren't we? And Anne with an E. Um, and, and I loved it. And I did facilitator training way back in the early 2000s then through Veritas, which is uh, veritas.org. You can look them up. They're a great organization. And um, I got my certification. Then I interrupted my journey and became a chaplain. I did all that training. Then I went back and got the actual certification. And, um, and I have a canvas labyrinth and I incorporated it into workshops that I do through Nurture Your Journey, uh, which are primarily grief workshops. Um, now I've, um, so I gather people together. Now the pandemic kind of shut that down. It's hard to gather people, you know, came hard to gather people. So, um, and then just before the pandemic, I decided to do advanced facilitator training. And that was down in uh, California, Pomona. California and um, at the Ions Center, which um, is, is, is beautiful and they have a labyrinth there. And when I was there, I just realized as I was preparing for that, that particular training, uh, and we're supposed to work on our story around that, that the labyrinth was really saying to me, okay, I am on the earth. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an archetypal energy. It's been around, it's a spiral. It's, it's, it's been around forever like most archetypal energies are and they they shift and change over time with us but you need to work with me in the land and so I got that message so and then the you know the pandemic came and things kind of shifted in my life a little um, after that and um, but then this this year at the turn of my birthday which was I was 63 in September and it was the end of a seven-year cycle for me and the beginning of a next seven-year cycle. And, um, and I realized there was some change going on and I was called, I live in an apartment. I was called to find some land to live on, to start to gather people. I've been in a very nesty nurturing situation for the last seven years where I could, I lost um, a marriage, a, a dog, a beloved pug, my mother, and I just needed to really be in the nurturing situation. And it's like, you're done with that girlfriend. <laughs> it is time for you to go out now and to really, um, to find land to build, to put a labyrinth on and to gather people. So, um, so my work, my primary work in the world is as a spiritual companion. And I sit with people in their grief and also on their spiritual journeys, it doesn't always have to be about grief. Sometimes people just see a sense of their life shifting and their beliefs are shifting, which is a loss also. Whenever whenever you're going through a change, there's a loss. But I also sit with people in deep grief, whether it's loss of a spouse or a child or a, a breakup of a marriage or a career, you know, whenever, and that's always loss. So that's uh, my primary work is that one-on-one -on -one spiritual companionship. And I, and I have training in that. And, uh, but the labyrinth is saying, you know, gather people, come with me, be on the land with me, 
let's participate together. And I had a dear friend offer me uh, the word participation because owning land or facilitating participation, it's a joint venture. It's, it's not something that I'm going to be in control of. So yeah, labyrinth is my, it's my heart. I love that. You know, we, we run a 30 day writing group and, and um, I'm very conscious of the language. And so that's, we like to say it's an invitation because, mm -hmm. um, because that's what it is. Cause you don't know what's going to happen. And just to be curious, right. Which I know you absolutely are. Yeah. Um, either in your work of sitting with people or just in the general world, do you have some things you might say to someone who is grieving or some things you definitely would not say ever? Um, either of those sides. Oh, I'm always, always telling people just be kind and tender and gentle with themselves. Um, if they, if, you know, especially around the holidays, telling offering offering invitations to people that if you don't want to go do something it's okay to give yourself permission to not go into a situation you don't feel comfortable with or if you get there have an out be able to say oh I'm, i just need to leave now that's okay uh, a lot of times i if i see someone maybe it's not somebody i'm working with um I met a woman at the where I swim and her husband had uh, Parkinson's and through our time swimming together it was maybe over a year or so he uh, came to the point where he was getting close to dying and then he died and and I just said well can you tell me some stories would you like to share a story and I think that's really people just want to have an opportunity to tell a story or two and have someone listen so I think that's important is to offer opportunity for story, to not overlay a story on, unless they ask. I mean, if people know that my mother had Alzheimer's and they say that's something they're going through, they might say, well, share some of your experiences, but to not jump in with your own experience when someone's sharing theirs. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. It's so important. And we, um, people listening will appreciate hearing that too, because it. I, sometimes I think it's just the human thing that happens we're so accustomed to sharing, someone says a thing, and so the other person says there's back. And really, the beautiful thing about being with someone in their grief is just to listen. And that asking about their story, because when people, when in our culture, we get so uncomfortable around grief, people have this idea, like, maybe I shouldn't bring up the person. And actually, when you're the person grieving, chances are good you'd like to talk about your person. Um, and if you don't want to, of course, you don't, but it's lovely to have an opening to do that. Mm -hmm. So thank you for doing that for people. Yeah. And I always tell people not, they don't have to apologize for tears and emotions that, that, um, that emerge at unexpected times. So I'll say, sometimes you'll get blindsided. You'll be at a store and you'll feel good. Then a song or, or an aroma will come up and all of a sudden you'll just be in a puddle and it's okay. It's okay. It just means you're experiencing, um, uh, your your connection and that's okay you don't have to apologize to anybody yeah those songs that come over the pa system can undo you <laughs> yeah or, or, that or that aroma you know some oh, yeah. smells are potent yeah yeah smells our senses are potent yeah yeah well so in your in your own 
in your own path as a person who's also grieved, um, what's the most helpful support that you've received from others? Ah, uh, having people ask me my mother's stories about my mother or my father or um, other losses, or just sitting quietly. I like to get flowers. <laughs> <laughs> what type of flowers? Uh, you know, it, terrible waste of the environment. I like cut flowers. Do you know, I still, I have my parents' altar and I still, when my mother was uh, declining or when she lived in her assisted living, I would take her flowers every week because she loved flowers. She loved her garden. And then when she died and I did her altar, I still have her, my parents' altar. I have altars all over my house. I mean, I have rocks and, and, and all over my house, but I have a parent, my parent altar and I put flowers on there every week for my mom still I thought I'd do it for a year you know what I do it every week I get fresh flowers for for the altar so that's beautiful somehow I remember something about daffodils yeah yeah she loved daffodils it was in her wedding bouquet so daffodils are I daffodil ornament on my Christmas tree and yeah daffodils are really meaningful to me so that's a beautiful way that you keep your mom with you yeah, there are lots of ways, but yeah, that's one. I am not going to make um, uh, roast beef and Yorkshire pudding this year for Christmas, though, <laughs> or her, or her, or her um, sausage rolls. There's some things I just you got, and sometimes you just let go of things too. You decide what's important and what you need to let go of. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we like to say that we're not about giving advice, and that is in a gentle way. That is really beautiful advice. Yeah. or suggestion and something she's lived herself yeah. and something you lived. yeah she comes to me every once in a while in dreams uh my dad less so he was but he was not well he wasn't around as long but it's interesting that um, my mom will come uh every once in a while in a, in a dream um but i i do do uh this rather i'm uh so okay i have divining rods and the my dad was left-handed and so he's the left-handed one and my mom is the right-handed one and they, and they will talk to me and he'll be more hesitant, but he will, he'll do a yes or a no if I'm doing, and my mom will be more gregarious. It's very funny. So when I'm doing decision-making or if I want to chat with him about something. So it's very interesting, the things that, because he wasn't religious or, or, or spiritual at all, he would have said, so I'm going, you still that way up there? <laughs> he's like, yep, daughter, I am. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. I definitely, I have my dad and my stepdad are both dead and I, and I talk with them both, um, especially when I'm out, out in nature, especially along the river. And my dad, who always had pretty clipped answers to things still has very clipped answers. So that, then I'm like, that's, that's awesome. That's you. Yeah. 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 I walked a labyrinth on Saturday, which is my dad's birthday would have been his hundredth birthday. And there was some bird. Ah, ah. Well, my dad was, he was tone deaf. He couldn't sing a note. So I'm going, huh, how you doing? Hey, Pops. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny how people turn out. Um, it, it, it's good. But so, so grief, you know, it's an interesting, it's, um, so there's that individual grief. So I'll, I'll move out of that though into, because uh, when we sit with people as individuals, of course, we're, we're our individual human self and we have our individual losses. But as I continue, I say grief is my mentor, as I said in that opening. And the more I look at grief from these uh, these deep thinkers that I follow, I'm like, whoa, um, 
and then pushed along as grief is this archetypal energy, like the labyrinth is, like beauty and joy and, and all these rich archetypes we have in the world. I see, especially with the pandemic, I see it keeps calling us to go broader into community. Um, Francis Weller says, ritual helps us establish the inner cadence of the soul. Help this need for rituals, the need for, he also said the village was the original grief container to release grief. Now we just, that we've done so much in the Western culture to isolate and make grief a solo thing that we've lost touch with that idea of lamenting together, of keening, of coming together and having corporal grief, of, of corporate grief, of coming together and grieving in community and listening how the land is grieving and how other species are grieving, the trees, the crack of the limbs when you have an ice storm come through in that resonance. So I, I, I you know, there's that first level grief that I think we've been so afraid to touch that yes we need to deal with that but then the both and we can hold two things simultaneously that there's just this grief is calling us to slowly move beyond that and go deeper into it deeper into the alchemical transformative uh, power of the grieving of what grief can teach us so we can move deal with things like the climate crisis and the, and the pain of the pandemic and and all these things that we're um, having to deal with and trauma um if you ever listen to bioaka from malati and his ideas on uh, the way of the winding wound was something i heard from him and it, it was just yeah just deep, really really transformative stuff and grief is one of the archetypes i think that can move us out of this malaise that we're in well, you just touched on a whole bunch of different topics. And as we wrap up here, we always like to ask if there's anything else you would also like to add Ooh. to this conversation. Well, let me see. Um, so much, so much to add. It's beautiful. We're going to have to have Ann Richardson part two. <laughs> just that, you know, I would just invite people to, to just look at what their beliefs are about grief and maybe look at the root of it and see if there's something they might want to shed and something they might want to invite in. And always to be kind and gentle and tender with their heart. And they can follow my blog at <laughs> nurtureyourjourney.net. And I have a page on there about the labyrinth. And, um, and I have my blog posts. And I've been a little negligent lately, but I'm going to get back on uh, blogging, blogging there. So, yes, it's a it's a great resource, and we're happy to share it with people. Thank you, and I do so appreciate the time today. I've been I get into my pondering brain, and sometimes um, I'm, things aren't fully formed. So, um, I'll be interested to see how this comes out. Oh, it's great! It's we like to say about you know it's been fun for us to do these podcasts because really we're just having conversations with people, and people get to listen and hear and. And you're talking directly to them. So we so appreciate you being with us. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing all that. Um, if you guys want to find some information about everything Anne shared, it should be in the show notes along with her website and ways you can connect with her. Uh, if you want to connect with us, you can email us at coffeeandgrief at gmail.com. 
and please join our Facebook community on Facebook, obviously. It's Coffee and Grief Community, and we post uh, grief support in there, and uh, you can post questions in there. There's some really great peer support that happens in that group, too. Uh, we host Coffee Talks the first Thursday of every month, which will also be posted on Facebook. It's five different readers reading a personal grief story, kind of similar to what you've heard today. Anne's been on it as a reader before. Uh, the link, the Zoom link will be on our Facebook page because it changes every month, but it is always the first Thursday of the month. If there's something else you'd like us to talk about, we would love to know. You can email us at coffeeandgrief at gmail.com. And that those are all the ways you can get a hold of us. We, if you have questions, we would love to hear your questions um, and talk about them on this podcast that we've been creating and thoroughly enjoying. So as we sign off today, we always like to say, take care of yourselves, be good to your hearts, be kind to yourself, drink plenty of water, do something kind for yourself. And if you have the bandwidth, do something kind for another. We'll see you next time. We love you so much. Thank you for being with us. We love you. Bye. Bye.